tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 104. So, do you want the blessing of God on your life? Well, I think we all do. But accessing that life, well, that can be another story. And in today's episode, best-selling author and Bible teacher Kelly Minter shares from her new devotional, The Blessed Life. We talk about the rich truth that's contained in the Sermon on the Mount and how that the Holy Spirit wants to help each and every one of us live that blessed life, even in the middle of this fallen world. Oh, hey, you guys, before we start the interview, I wanted to tell you, I've started posting regularly over on YouTube, and that includes today's episode with Kelly. So if you'd like to see the passion for Jesus on her face and the excitement we have talking about the Lord and all that He has for us, well, you can tune in over there. Just type in at Joanna Weaver in the YouTube search bar and you'll find us. Or you can just keep listening right here in your podcast player as we start our conversation with Kelly. Well, it is such an honor to have Kelly Minter in the living room with us today. Kelly, I have so appreciated your ministry, um, and I'm just honored to be able to interview you about your new devotional, The Blessed Life. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Well, I love I love that title, because I, I don't know about the listeners out there, but when I when I hear that, the blessed life, there's like this, <gasps> yes, there's something there. There's something there. It's like the thing that we were made for, but that we don't know exactly how to really apprehend or, or receive maybe. Can you talk about that? Yes. And I love how you're setting that up. It's, it is the life that we long for. No, there's, I don't think there's anybody that you would ask. Do you who would say, no, I don't want a blessed life, right? We, this is the, the life we long for and the life we were made for, like you said, I think is so um, wonderfully put. The problem is, well, there's a few problems, right? So for one, we live in a broken world that is full of sin and, and selfishness and all, all kinds of issues and sickness and that, that mar our, our experience of the blessed life. But beyond that, I think we have um, an insufficient definition of the blessed life. And then beyond that, we have all of these uh, strategies or remedies or tactics to achieve the blessed life that are the wrong strategies and wrong, uh, you know, um, uh, ways about going about it. And so there's a whole lot of problems when we talk about it. So I think it's important that we, we, we define the blessed life um, in the way that Jesus does, which, you know, just like Jesus, he doesn't really come out with a specific definition, right? You have to kind of look at how he's talking and how he's teaching. But we see that the blessed life is 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 really living in his kingdom under his reign and his rule. And even this morning, I was just reading in the Psalms, I think it was in Psalm 25, where it talks about that the paths of the Lord are always mercy and truth. So when we walk in obedience to him, we're going to have that mercy and truth, but we have to walk in obedience to him. And that's the problem. We, as a culture, we're like, no, we want to say what the, the blessed life is. It's more money. It's bigger house. It's more stuff. It's having the love of our lives who makes us happy. Mm -hmm. And as soon as people stop making us happy and stop fulfilling our dreams and our desires, then we move on from them we find somebody else it's a it's a the culture tells us it's about our truth you know mm -hmm. the blessed life is about our happiness 
Now, Jesus has a very different definition. And then once we get his definition, which is about the peace and the hope and the joy um, and the fullness of living in relationship with him in his kingdom under his reign and rule, under his, his direction, then he tells us how to go about it, which is what so much of the Sermon on the Mount is. And then even the miracles after, you know, which is trusting him. Um, obeying him, being generous, being prayerful, you know, um, loving our enemies, all that stuff. So, and I've already talked too much for one question, but I think, I think that's, we've got to define it. And then we have to go about it on Jesus terms. That's what makes this so radical of a message. Yeah. It really is a radical, radical message because it's the upside down kingdom of God. Yes. So what comes naturally to us thinking that more, more, more is going to fill the emptiness of our soul only to find out it really doesn't. And I think that's this culture where we're so chasing blessings. We don't realize that scripture tells us that when we pursue God, blessings will overtake us. They chase us. And so we do have to like surrender this paradigm. And boy, you know, I've been kind of studying the Sermon on the Mount a little bit, and especially how much Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. You know, Mm. scripturally, he didn't talk about anything more than the kingdom of God. And so I've been really saying, Lord, what does that look like? And I love your devotional because it just kind of unpacks the the pieces of the Sermon on the Mount. Can you kind of talk about that? Yes, yes. So in yeah, so this 90-day devotional, it walks us through every single verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but it doesn't just stop at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, I go another two chapters because Matthew includes in a whole section in his gospel not just the the sermon on the teachings of Jesus, but afterwards he he pulls 10 very specific miracles together. Mm. And and so the reason we know he meant to put the teachings and the miracles together is because in chapter 4 verse 23 and in chapter 9 verse 35 Matthew says the exact same thing. He says that Jesus went around teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. So he repeats himself and it's, he doesn't repeat himself in chapter nine because he forgot what he said in chapter four. He's, he's like putting bookends Mm -hmm. around now in between these two statements, I'm going to show you the teachings. I'm going to tell you the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to show you the miracles. And, and so all of it goes together. So we see Jesus go up the mountain, deliver the law in a new way, in a, in the way that it was always intended to be uh, taught to us. Then he comes down the mountain and he walks into a sea of need and brokenness and sickness and shame and, and belief and unbelief. And then he calls us to do the same, to walk into that same place with his, his healing and his, um, and in his compassion. Uh, so that's what the sermon does. It walks us through chapters five through seven, which is the sermon. Um, I'm sorry, that's what the devotional does. And then it walks us through the miracles of chapters eight and nine. So you, at, over the course of 90 days, you get five chapters in Matthew and you really get a day by day ability to just digest what um, the, the words and the life of Jesus. I love how Jesus does that. You know, he comes and he just, He unfolds the life that we were meant to live. And yet it was so hard for the Jews to really hear it and receive it. And I have to be honest, there are definitely parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are hard to receive. 
it's so hard and we we have to we really have to die to ourselves because so much of what like you said the upside down kingdom it's just so counterintuitive to us you know so when he says um things like you know don't murder but also don't get angry we're like well but don't we need to like be self-righteously you know angry and and don't it won't that help us get the anger out you know so we don't murder and jesus is like no i came to change hearts you know and then yes. he says things like always tell the truth not just don't just fudge you know don't just don't try to um you know speak out of both sides of your mouth but get let your yes be yes and your no be no and then he, he says things like love your enemies which we all are happy to love the people we like and we're happy to love our neighbors and we're happy to love people who deserve it. But loving our enemies, that's incredibly difficult. He talks about forgiving. Um, that's not natural. I don't, it's never come natural to anybody. I don't think to forgive. Uh, and so um, he tells us not to worry, which is not natural for us. It's 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 in our nature to worry. And, and so he, he walks us through all of these things um, that are counterintuitive. But when we when we rely on him to accomplish these things in our lives, because we can't do it on our own strength. We have to rely on him. That brings us into a deeper communion with him. And then we begin to be changed. And that's the, that's, I think a big part of the blessed life and living in the kingdom is that that's the promise. If you go back to, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 33, and then it's in Ezekiel. And in both places, both prophets talk about this day that would be coming where our hearts of stone would be turned to hearts of flesh and where the the teachings of the Lord would not just be something that we would have to be taught, but it would actually live inside of us. And he talks about transformed hearts, people who would know God and the spirit of the living God living in us. And so when you, you see Jesus' sermon as a fulfillment of that, and I think when I look at the blessing of the blessed life, it's it's not even so much when my circumstances change, although that's always helpful when we want them to change, but it's when I change and I realize, oh, the Lord's changed me and he's made me more loving, more compassionate, more patient, more fulfilled in him, more content, more generous. You know, that's that's a huge part of the blessed life, I think. Oh, it's a massive part of the blessed life because I've tried to do it on my own and that's that's not a blessed life. You know, that's torment. That's never quite getting there. And I think sometimes I wonder if Jesus, um, part of the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't just upping the ante on everything, like take the Ten Commandments and make it harder, you know, because he was trying to get us to the end of ourselves so that we could realize that the life we need and the, and the ability to do what he asked is only found in him. But how do we do that, Kelly? How do we turn the Sermon on the Mount from a list of must-dos to, to this partnership with the Holy Spirit to become what he wants us to be? Yeah, and I, you bring up, so I want to answer, or I want to at least attempt to respond to that second question. But the, the first statement that you talked about, about coming to the end of ourselves, I, I agree with that. And at the same time, I think that Jesus is really, truly, though, not just calling us to the end of ourselves, but calling us to the end of ourselves so that we can actually live that life that it, the, the things that he said, not just kind of like, a, oh, well, we can't do it. So thank goodness for grace, but that we can't do it. So thank goodness for his grace that's going to empower us to do these impossible things. 
And it's interesting you talk about upping the ante because it's certainly what it feels like, right? Don't murder. Oh, wait, I'm telling you not be angry. You know, don't um, commit adultery. I'm telling you not to lust. At the same time, you know, there's a strong argument for that is what it was always meant. That was, it was always about the heart, even in the Old Testament, which is, which is interesting when you get in there, because we kind of tend to think of, right, Old Testament law, New Testament love and heart transformation, but really God talked about the heart a lot in the Old Testament. Yeah. And he talked about hearts being far from him and hearts turning back to him. And, and so in some ways it's like, it feels like Jesus was up in the ante, but you all, but that one other possible thought is that he was really just teaching it the way that it was always supposed mm. to be, but now he's mm. here enabling us. So it's, this, it's a nuance, but I think it's been helpful for me to think through because I always kind of like went around the Sermon on the Mount because I thought, well, that's just this impossible message. And Jesus just wanted to remind me that I could never do it. And so I don't really need to spend much time in it, you know, which is, which is not the right, you know, interpretation yes. of that. And so what, what helped me as I was studying it is, yes, I cannot do it. It does bring me to the end of myself so that I can rely on him to do what's impossible and to really own the sermon for all of its impossible demands, <laughs> um, not to try to be a Pharisee, but to say, Lord, change me and and help me. I couldn't agree more because sometimes I think we use grace as this excuse. Well, it's too hard. Thank God I'm, but I, I, it's like, we're missing the heart of the good news. Yeah. He didn't just save us to get us to heaven. He saved us to change us. Yes. And so I, and for me, I just keep thinking, Lord, show me. Cause so many times I read something in scripture and my good girl inside interprets it as I better get my act together. And, and so I turn to me rather than turning to him and and realizing that that's why the holy spirit came to dwell in me and to change me and enable me to live a different life how has that looked like for you to where you're actually tapping into the power of the holy spirit not just willpower right because it's it's tricky isn't it because it, it it it's like what james says that it faith without works is dead but if but i i think the reverse is true works without faith is dead right so it's it's like how do you so i think jesus for one thing i think he he does something special for us at the top and i will tell you at the top of the sermon on the mount is what we refer to as the beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the merciful all that because they inherit the kingdom because they um you know, they will be comforted because they will be filled because they will be called sons of God, all that. There's these promises that are like attached. But all that to say is the Beatitudes is not, I don't think, I do not think the Beatitudes are a to-do list. Mm. The Ten Commandments are a do these. Yeah. Paul's epistles are, and James, right? Do this, don't do this. There's a lot of do's and don'ts, which I think are are good and we need to adhere to those. I don't think the Beatitudes are go try to get persecuted, mm. go try to hunger and thirst for righteousness, go try to be trampled on. Um, you know, I don't think that's what this is. I think what Jesus is doing at the very top, which should relieve us of the lists, is he is presenting the blessed life of the kingdom to the broken. 
He's coming and is announcing his kingdom to those who are under Roman oppression, those who are poor, those who are barely making it um, every day, those who are demon possessed and persecuted. I mean, and obviously he's speaking to the disciples directly, but you've got this whole crowd that's around. And I think what he's doing is he's saying, I have come and brought the kingdom and the upside down nature of the kingdom is that the poor and the poor in spirit are going to find out that they're the blessed ones because they have the kingdom because I'm here in their midst. Mm. Those who are mourning um, because of injustice, those who are hungering and thirsting for right things to take place in an unjust world, they're the blessed ones because they're going to realize that that's only in me and I will bring this fully, full justice to come. And so so all that to say is then after you get out of this like pronouncement of grace and of the power of his kingdom, then he starts to say things like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Then he begins to, um, in a sense, redefine the commandments. Now I don't want you just to do this because of this blessed life. I want you to go love your enemies. I want you to not even lust. I want you to not get angry. And I, and I don't want you to worry. And you you know what I'm saying? So right. I think I think the Beatitudes begin with this grace-based, grace-filled. There's this blessing in in this way for those who know they can't do it. Um, so I think that's one thing is to start with the Beatitudes, start with the grace. But then I think practically speaking, too, a lot of it is just starting with agreeing with God and like yes. So when you get when you get to these passages that are difficult, like Lord, how can I love this ex husband or this ex wife or this awful boss or this nasty neighbor? How can I love this person? These these people are, are wounded me; they're my enemy. But to say, Lord, but I agree that this is what you've called me to, and I agree that this is what I want to do. Or how do I forgive? Or how do I fast? You know, yeah. or how do I pray in my secret place? How do I not worry? But getting to that place of saying, Lord, I agree that this is what I want to do with you. And then asking the Holy Spirit to help. I mean, I help us. Yes. Um, and then we find ourselves in these situations where he begins to sanctify us. And um, so I always, I talk about participating with the Lord or cooperating with the Lord. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big piece is, you know, like, um, this is a small thing, but I was, you know, reading about that faith and works and I was just thinking, okay, what are some ways that I can love my neighbors around me? And so there was just the Lord just put on my heart, like, okay, what about this little gift you can give them? What about a little card that you can step? And it's a little uncomfortable because you don't want to be like that weird neighbor that's, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I want them to know in the, in the, in the, in the best way who I am and, and, and my love for the Lord, but not in an off-putting way. And so, yeah. but what, what it required though, is like, I had to go to William Sonoma. I had to get the little things that I wanted to get. I had to go get the bags. I had, to, it was like, I went to like five different stores to put all this stuff together and I'd get my cards and I'm not very organized and good at all this. But then yesterday it's like, I went door to door, like dropped off my stuff. And I thought, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going to come of this, but this is me putting my faith in action yes. and just saying, this is such a small thing, but I feel like this is what you want me to do. And so I want to follow through and do it. So it's like, I'm participating with the Lord. Now I know that dropping something off small is not going to bring anybody to repentance in Christ, but it's part of my participation with the Lord for what would might come next, you know? And so just a small little 
example of just when the Lord puts something on your heart, you know, just saying, okay, Lord, I want to, I want to work with you in this and then expect those days of failure. Yes. I think I know me too. Well, and you know, sometimes I think, I think that we underestimate the power of that, that prompting of the Lord, you know, and we, we think we've got to make something happen, not realizing that when we just respond to it, he's already there. He's he's already made a path for those little gifts for whatever reason he has purposed that. And like you said, I get to participate with him. You know, I, I just want to come back because I think, I think this is an aspect, honestly, of the Christian faith that we have, we know here, but we don't fully know here. And that is that God loves to change our heart. He loves to change our heart. And just like you were saying, how do I do this? I was thinking of the the verses you mentioned in Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel, because those have been really powerful in my life. In the New Living Translation, it says, "For your, he, he will give you for your stony, stubborn heart, mm. tender, responsive heart. Mm. And mm. so that's kind of the heart check that I try to have. Like when there is that pushback, when I cannot love, Lord, give me a new heart. Create in me a clean heart. Give me the right spirit for this situation and this thing. And, you know, it doesn't always happen like a magic wand instant. Right. But he right. honors that prayer. Yes. He comes and he does things in us. And, and he moves us as we just remain, like you said, responsive. Just, okay, Lord, I, I felt like you wanted me to do this. I don't know what the result will be. Yeah. I think that's the great adventure. And, and the great joy of the blessed life is I don't have to figure it out. I just need to be tender and responsive. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I loved what you said, just being sensitive to what the spirit, you know, puts on our hearts and how much the Lord does want to transform us. And I also appreciated what you said about it's not always instantaneous. And I think that's the thing about sanctification is sanctification is a process and you know, every so often you get one of those like big leaps in a really short time. Um, and the Lord just does something, you know, quickly, but, but most of the time it's a, it's a process. And I, I, and I think that's biblical. And, and I think in our instant society, we expect even the Lord to like break every chain immediately. And, you know, and, and he did come to loose chains and to break chains and to set captives free and all of that. But that doesn't always mean instantaneous that there there is this process you know that we go through i think i mean i think that sal salvation moment is instantaneous but then there's that sanctification process that takes time so we've got to give ourselves some grace in that healing process yeah and don't you think i i because oh man i just have to be honest i have resented the fact that it takes so long i yes, was the girl right. who prayed to be perfect by the time she was 30. okay okay gotcha because <laughs> i'm thinking you said it god so it must be yeah. possible but i i think back and i'm like oh lord i'm so glad that you didn't answer that prayer because yeah. i've really needed him would have I really come to know him like I've yes. come to know him in that long, winding, twisting journey with him yes. and and yes. realizing, oh, it's not arriving or getting what I want that's the blessing. it's it's journeying with him and yes. and getting to experience life with him. Ah, this is so powerful. You know, looking at as you've just spent so much time in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Is there some parts that have become really precious to you personally? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think there's themes. There's a lot of themes that run through it that have been, um, that instead of like, like there are specific verses that I've loved and specific illustrations, but like even the theme you talked about, oh, sorry, you talked about, um, you know, being perfect, like we're, um, Jesus even says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Mm -hmm. father in heaven is perfect. And you're like, or, you know, we talk or be holy at different places. And you're like, be perfect. Like that feels impossible. And, um, but one of the things that I, I, I realized in studying is that word is really a, a really good translation would be whole, be whole or be undivided, be perfect in the sense of like, um, a wholeness or a maturity brought to completion. And when I was really studying that, the whole idea of wholeness is is so important in the sermon because you had the Pharisees that that kept the law really well, um, sort of like you were talking about, like almost to perfection on the outside, but their heart was far from the Lord. And then there are some people that, you know, they, they want to know the Lord, but then they don't actually participate. They don't do the things that he's called us to do. And some of the sermon um, is to bring those two things together, that we are undivided in heart, that we are whole, that our our heart, our inner person and our outer deeds actually are come together. So we're not just doing good things for our own selfish hearts, you know, um, but we're but out of the outflow of a good heart are these good good words works. And so I think that's been a a, a theme that's meant a lot to me is that. It's different than stri- it's a different image than striving for perfection. Yes. Is to say, Lord, I want wholeness, and I only you can do that in me. Yeah. And yeah. so that's been a big theme. And and you you see the wholeness actually kind of go through. In fact, you get it near the end of the sermon in chapter seven, where he says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically like a you know, a thorn bush is not going to bear grapes or, you know, a a grape bush isn't going to bear figs. You know, there's a wholeness to a good tree is going to bear good fruit. Mm -hmm. And um, so just, yeah, who we are and what we do, those things coming together has been a really powerful image for me. I love that. Well, you know, when we are talking about all of the Sermon on the Mount and that upside down kingdom, um, you know, I think that's been something that has been helpful for me to understand that in the Old Testament, there was the if-then blessings. And I do agree, there are some if-then blessings in the New yes. Testament, but but that never really, all those blessings didn't draw people closer to the Lord. And in the New Testament, it was almost like the Lord sort of flipped the script and said, all those things that you think are blessings may not be the blessing. Instead, I, I as you were talking about that mature completion, um, James 1, 2 through 4, consider it joy when yes. you encounter various trials. And we're like, what? Talk yeah. about upside down. And yet that seems to kind of go along with the Sermon on the Mount. And that last part says that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Mm-hmm. And it's such it's such a paradigm shift. And so I think living in the in the Sermon on the Mountain, on those, even those pushbacks that we feel like, how can yeah. it be blessed to mourn? You know, right. and and how and I guess that's one thing I'd love to have you talk about. How do we let God kind of rewire our thinking? Because especially I think, and you've done a lot of travel in other countries. I feel like Americanized Christianity has has really misinterpreted blessings at times. Yeah. 
Yeah. How, how has that kind of come for you to understand? Yeah, well, and it has come through some of my travels. You know, I do a lot of work with Justice and Mercy International, which is based here in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, Nashville. And we do a lot of work in the Amazon. And it's funny because I can't, I have a hard time sometimes putting into words the Beatitudes, the message of it, because I don't think I fully understand it myself. There have been times where I have mourned um losses and sacrifices that I felt like were for the sake of Christ. And I have experienced the blessing of his nearness and of his comfort. There have been times where I feel like um, I have been poor in spirit, but I have really experienced the blessing of the kingdom of heaven and of his, of again, his presence and his power in my life. So it's not that I, I don't at all understand it, but I don't understand it. I know to the depth of some of the people that I've met with over there. And I remember, um, teaching this message to a group of of women, um, missionaries and pastor's wives who have ministered in the obscurity of the jungle, born and raised there, um, have very little, like really have no material possessions, have no retirement, have no savings, have no running water. And, um, And when I read, all I did, I hadn't even started teaching it. All I did was read the Beatitudes over them. And they began to cry, to worship, to raise their hands. They they believed in their bones, the blessings of the kingdom. And I think part of it was because they were in a position to receive them. They did not have to think about what it would be like to experience this, these blessings at the expense of their big home, at the expense of their big salary, at the expense of their, you know, material possessions. They didn't, none of that was in the way. There was just the pure coming of the kingdom for them and the pure enjoyment of what Jesus, who he is and what he promises to bring ultimately in the future. And so, you know, I, somebody was saying recently, they said, you know, in America, we don't like to talk about heaven a lot. We don't really talk about eternal life much. We we want God fixing things for us now. But they, but they said, when you go overseas and you go into some of these depressed places, you talk about heaven all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're they're longing for that that day when all things are going to be set right. And mm-hmm. um and and so I think part of our problem, you know, Joanna, is that and myself included chiefly, is we we are so dependent on all of our luxuries and our comforts, and and then we want to add Jesus to those things. Mm. But that's not the group of people that he came to first when he announced his kingdom. Um, I think they were the most, because of their brokenness, they were the most ripe. And yet, as soon as I say that, are we not living in a culture yeah. full of loneliness and isolation and struggle and 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 envy and um, sadness and hopelessness and depression. There's so much of that around us. And so in some ways we are here very ripe for the message of yes. um, very ripe for the message of Jesus, especially, um, you know, for uh, those who have maybe, maybe you've even hit the top of your game. You got the spouse you wanted, you've got the massive salary, you got the dream job and you're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom is here for you. Um, so I think Yes, there are some barriers for us as Westerners. And in the same breath, we've experienced the inadequacy of those blessings or those comforts. They don't, they don't hit us at a heart level. And so we just, we are constantly striving for more and more. And Jesus is saying, yeah, strip all that away. 
I am here to give you everything Hmm. that you've ever hoped for, everything that you've ever longed for. And it is not going to be in the form of, of material possessions. It doesn't mean that those can't be used as blessings in some way, but that those are not the chief blessings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, oh, thank you, Lord. You not only give us a new heart, you want to transform our mind. Yeah. Because that's yeah. really what we need. Yes. We need a transformed mind that mm-hmm. thinks differently and sees differently. And and uh, I'm so glad that the Lord promises that. I would just love to have you pray over us as we close, because I just think, again, the blessed life, it's, there's something inside that we know. That's what we were made for. Yeah. We were made for that intimate friendship with God, yeah. not just the blessings around us, but the blessing of his presence within us. I would just love to have you pray. I would love to. I would love to. Um, Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, that you have um, sent your son and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to give us the blessed life, Lord, to give us the life that was lost in the garden when sin entered the world. Um, Lord, thank you that you did not give up on us as humans and as your creation at that point, Lord, but you sent your son Jesus at just the right time, Lord, to, to die for us and to take on our sin and our guilt and our shame and to forgive us of that, Lord, so that all of that, um, all that we owed God that we could never repay anyway, Lord, you already, you set, you settled that on our behalf. God, I pray for those who, Lord, are just struggling to experience your love, that even in this moment, Lord, you would flood them with the love and the grace of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are clinging to the things of this life, Lord, that feel like blessings, but really, Lord, are just false promises mm-hmm. and false gods, Lord, that will only lead us deeper into despair and deeper into just wanting more stuff that can never satisfy. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be the satisfier of our souls. And Lord, that we would, our minds would be changed, that you would align us um, to the message of your teaching and also, Lord, to the to see the goodness and the, and the compassion, the compassionate deeds, Lord, that you did for us um, and the miracles, Lord, that you've done for us and that you still want to do yeah. in our lives today. And so I pray for that. I pray for that healing and that joy and that clarity and that truth, Lord, to penetrate hearts today. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You and I were made for the blessed life, my friend. Oh, you guys, there is so much more waiting for us when we get to the other side of surrender and really learn how to trust God. But we've got to stop living according to the pattern of this world. And I really think that Kelly's new devotional can help. You can find more information about Kelly and our other Bible studies over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 104. And if you'd like to listen to this episode all over again, be sure to hop over to YouTube and check out this video. I'm going to be sharing future and past podcast videos every other Wednesday. But on the Wednesdays in between, I'm going to be posting all new content that I really believe the Lord wants me to share. They're going to involve bite-sized videos that contain actionable steps you and the Holy Spirit can begin to apply to your lives. We're going to be talking about things like how to cultivate a deep and meaningful friendship 
relationship with Jesus, how to balance life and ministry, how to hammer out forgiveness when forgiveness is hard, and so many other lessons that the Lord has taught me over the years. So I hope you'll watch the welcome video on YouTube. And if the mission resonates with you, I hope you'll subscribe to the channel and take a moment to introduce yourselves in the comments. Whether you remain one of my podcast listeners or if you also include YouTube in your listening diet, I can't wait to grow together. Because as we do, we're going to learn how to live and love and lead like Jesus. And when it comes down to it, you guys, that's the secret to the truly blessed life.